0: the last time you had a best friend? Okay, those of you who are in high school and college, that question is meaningless to you because, or for most of you, it's meaningless because it is, it's easy, uh, speaking frankly, to have a best friend in high school and college because you are surrounded by people your age, you're surrounded by people who do what you do and you, you can't help but have a close relationship, but those of us who have kind of moved on into adulthood and upper adulthood and middle adulthood, we can testify to you that it is hard to make a best friend. So when was the last time you had a best friend who lived close by? When was the last time you made a new friend? Not a new acquaintance, Not a like on Facebook, okay? A friend. A good friend. The kind of friend that makes your best friend jealous. Adult relationships are hard. They're difficult. High school relationships are hard. They're full of animosity and competition and tension. Middle school relationships are the worst. They're difficult. They're hard. All kinds of relationships are difficult. It is hard to make friends and sustain the friendships that you have, and the church is supposed to fix that. It's supposed to be that nexus where we as Christians find a common cause and have good friends, and it is often not the case. We're just as broken as everybody else. Where can you find this kind of friendship? There, there is a friend out there, right? You can just kind of hear the wisdom of the sage. Like, he knows that there's this kind of friend. It's like the search for the Holy Grail. It's like the fountain of youth. It's, there's this friend out there who is closer than a brother. David describes Jonathan. You remember that great uh, bromance, David and Jonathan? They're good friends, and they're such good friends that David says of his friend, Jonathan, God has knit our souls together. Maybe you could say that about your spouse. Do you have a friend like that? Where do we go for friendships? How can we have better relationships in the church and with one another? We're going to explore that question uh, this morning under uh, three headings. First, how to win friends and influence people. Second, haters are going to hate. And finally, the great cliche, all you need is love. Okay? We're going to follow each one of those. First, then, how to win friends and influence people. If you've gotten stuck in relationships, if you've had a couple of broken relationships, you know, the first couple of broken relationships, the first kind of friendships that kind of crumble in front of your eyes, it's really easy to handle that because you just say, okay, it's their fault, right? I did everything I could. It's their fault. Um, You know, and, and you move on. And sometimes it is their fault and sometimes it's not. But when relationships kind of keep crumbling, one, that the, one thing that those of us who are desperate for relationships will do is we'll go to the advice column at your local Barnes and Noble or Amazon link or whatever and we will pick out so the kinds of books and there are legions of books that will tell you how to win friends and influence people, how to make new friends, There was a recent NPR podcast about making friends in adulthood, how difficult it is, how to do it. There's even a little test case, uh, a guy setting up two other guys to be friends, uh, to try to be uh, companions, and uh, following how that went, and it didn't go well, by the way. Following those kinds of uh, advice columns can help us develop friendships, and they're good sets of advice. There's a lot of good advice out there, a lot of things that some of us should be reading. How to Win Friends and Influence People, that's a decent book. There's things in it that are good. There's things in it that might be less helpful, but it's about developing friendships, and there's good worldly advice in it. The Bible, though, is deeply interested in this question, in how we cultivate, how we develop relationships. And that makes sense. It makes sense that the Bible would be deeply interested in this question of relationships. It's not as deeply interested in atoms banging around. It's not as deeply interested in scientific discoveries, but it's deeply interested in our relationships with one another. And the reason is because the Bible proclaims at its heart, the Bible is the proclamation of a kingdom, a community. What is a kingdom other than a network of relationships? a a people that lives together, sheep in the pasture. That's what the Bible is about. And so when the Bible tells us what it's about, it includes a lot of advice about how to live together, about how to commune, about how to develop relationships. You find this in wisdom literature, a lot of it in wisdom literature, as was read for us earlier in this worship service. You'll find some great material in James, great exemplary friendships like David and Jonathan. We won't be able to analyze all of this, but I do want in our first section, how to win friends and influence people, to think about what does the Bible tell us about the nature of friendship and the skills that we need to develop those friendships? What are some skills that the Bible holds out for us to develop as we seek to be better friends to the persons or people next to you uh, in the pew? All right, step one, making better friends biblically. Step one, presence. <laughs> this seems like it goes without saying, but there are a number of times when we hit these bumps in relationships and, and they'll come to, you come to your elders, you come to your pastors and you ask, why am I not developing um, relationships in the church? And if, if my answer is, I never see you, that's step one. Step one is presence, be there and be engaged. We have to be around each other to develop friendships with one another, physically around each other. Facebook's a help, Twitter's a help, we're all connected in these many ways, but there is nothing like being there, and the closer and more physical the presence, the better and longer lasting the relationships that are being formed. We need to be there with one another we need to be engaged there is a great way if you're looking for deeper and more ful- fulfilling relationships in this church there is a g- great way to deepen your engagement um, i would start with the sabbath that's the center of what we do the center of our life together is worshiping christ on his sabbath which he created for us for our benefit so that we might be focused on god in worship and so that we might be developing relationships in one another double down on your Sabbath presence. We, have, we will, on September uh, 11th, have Sunday school, have uh, morning worship, and have evening worship. I encourage you, be present in those times. If you're looking for deeper relationships, add something, add presence, engagement. And there's a great way to get involved. We've also got a lot of Wednesday activities. We've got home fellowship groups. We've got events spread out throughout the year. Our center of our life is on the Sabbath, but there are these other ways of being present. Can I encourage you as a first step, as a first step, that presence is the prerequisite of friendship? We need to be engaged. Engaged in worship, and then also engaged outside. Uh, It's not an accident that a consistent emphasis in Luke, we'll be returning to Luke soon, in the rest of Scripture is eating together. So uh, step 1A is be present, particularly in worship. 1B, be present with one another throughout the week, and if you have nothing else to do, grab coffee. Get coffee with somebody. It's easy, especially if you're close by. If you're not close by, that's a whole set of other challenges. Especially if you're close by, grab coffee. We have this amazing technology. We don't use it anymore, it's called the phone. Call, phone a friend. These are ways of being present. And the more present we are, the better opportunities we have to develop our relationships. That's step one. Step two, and now we are starting to get uniquely Christian in our focus, the center of any friendship is service. The center of any relationship is the other person. That's a particularly Christian way of thinking about relationships. Philippians 2 Have this mind within you that was in Christ Jesus who forsook everything that he was in order, I'm paraphrasing obviously here, in order to love you, the enemy, the sinner. That pattern that Christ gives us, gives us the basic orientation, the basic value system of any Christian friendship. Christian friendships are centered on other people and they have as the lifeblood A service-like mentality. It's not about you, it's about them. Now this requires, this is is difficult, this is a difficult tension to keep in balance because sometimes you're going to be receiving aid, receiving service, sometimes you're going to be talked, uh, uh, you're going to be asked questions and asked to respond to those questions. Sometimes you're going to be the recipient, the center of attention. And sometimes you're going to be putting the center of attention on the other person, right? There's a balance there. And any true, genuine friendship requires both. There are a lot of you out there who have a, your basic mindset. You know who you are because you're good, self-reliant American citizens. And you, you believe in self-reliance. And you know who you are. You know, you got this. You'll figure it out. You don't let other people in your life, you don't admit weakness, you are not transparent and you don't let other people help you. What you're, there is a role for self-reliance, but what you're doing in, in doing that consistently is you are denying us the opportunity to be friends with you. You are denying us the opportunity to help, to serve, to love in tangible, physical ways. Let us in, ask us questions get help, you might hear something that you don't already know. That's one side of it, receiving service from others. The other side of it, the other side of the other-centeredness of Christian friendships is giving service, helping in a time of need. A lot of you are good helpers. You know, somebody needs a meal, you have got it. You've got this frozen lasagna, it is in the freezer, you just defrost it and you are on the road as soon as possible. You are service-oriented people. We love you. You're great. It goes beyond that. You actually have to take a genuine, you can't just solve problems. You have to take a genuine interest in other people's lives. You have to ask them questions. It's not only your hands that demonstrate your love for one another, it's your words and your ears. You ever been at a, a Starbucks or you see two people on a date and you can tell there's a mismatch, right? Because one person is talking the entire time. And the other person is kind of like this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Watch out for that in yourself I have to do it You all know I have to do it Watch out for uh, The overabundance Of self-concerted Self-centered conversation Give and take That is at the heart of Christian relationships Two more steps That's step two Service and other people-centeredness Step three, partnership. We are partners together, partners with one another. Mutual interest can take you a long way. Uh, You like the same bands, you like the same music, right? Uh, And you, you do the small talk thing. By the way, small talk is great. We are not, as a church, I would say, gifted at small talk. Start with small talk. The goal of small talk is to find big talk. You start small, you ask little things, And then hopefully you latch onto something that's a little bigger, a little bit more important, a little significant, and you can kind of talk around that. But the goal of all that is not just mutual interest. That can take you so far. Oh, we're both interested in this. We're both interested in that. We're both in uh, the brokerage industry. We're both in chemistry. You know, that can take you so far. But what will take you to the next step, the next level of friendship, is more than interest. It's partnership. You together are on the same team. This is uh, what Proverbs is getting at. Proverbs is getting, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. That is to say that they toil together and so the product, the fruitfulness is more effective, more guaranteed, partner with somebody in the body of Christ. You are partners with your spouse. You are partners together with your children. And as you understand that and start to cultivate that, what will happen is naturally developing depth of friendship and relationship. Not just mutual interest, but partnership. And if you are looking for something to partner in, you are God's people. We are partners together in the pursuit of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. This is why the Proverbs constantly come in and say something that is really contrary to the wisdom of our day. In our day, you avoid certain kinds of conversations. If you want to make friends, avoid iron, sharpening iron kinds of conversations. Avoid uncomfortable and awkward conversations. This isn't how the Bible sees it. And the reason why Proverbs doesn't see it this way, the reason why Proverbs says uh, things like whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, or faithful are the wounds of a friend, the reason why it says that is because it knows that as we counsel one another and advise one another, we are seeking a common good together. We are partnering together to find this common good, which we call living the Christian life. Partner with one another. Receive criticism and counsel final step. Step four, faithfulness. This is what's proclaimed for us in Proverbs uh, time and time again. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house. Uh, in the, uh, do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. Uh, later on, Job warns, and for Job, this is a pointed warning in the context of the book. Uh, he who withholds kindness from a friend uh, Forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Faithfulness, stand by your friends, it, which is another way of saying continuing, continue to do perpetually steps one, two, and three. Presence, service, partnership. Keep doing those over and over and over and over and over again, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even after the relationship seems broken. Be wise about it. Don't constantly open your heart to destruction, but continue to keep that door open. Faithfulness honors, perpetuates, perpetually honors the other person, and faithfulness forgives when the other person sins against us. Those are the keys to Christian friendship, at least from the book of Proverbs. At this point, you may be asking yourself, I've done these things and it's still not working. I've done these things, Lord, Lord, I have done these from my youth and I still don't have good friends. I still see so much depth necessary in my relationships. What is going wrong? One of the reasons I picked these Proverbs, I don't know if you noticed this, the cynical among you might have noticed this, that there's kind of a dark side to some of these Proverbs. There's a subtle criticism kind of embedded in a lot of them. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. You know, the author of Ecclesiastes is holding out this, this promise that three-stranded cord cannot be broken. In the next chapter, it's broken. It's broken. A foolish king who doesn't listen to the advice of his friends leads the whole group off a cliff. That happens. Circumstances come into our lives and break otherwise good relationships. I heard uh, again on another podcast this week, our love can conquer everything. It is stronger than anything. And yet many of us have loved and love deeply, and, and we know that kings can rend asunder, that things can happen in our life that that hurts deeply and destroys the relationships that we have. There's a dark side here. Here's another one. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Always reminds me of the Eric Clapton song reflected in the title of the sermon here. See, people are nice to us when things are going well, but, they, but we have this experience that they abandon us when things are going poorly. We're not good in uncomfortable situations. There's a, a dark side to human friendships. There's a, a drain, a black hole that, that sucks out the best of our efforts and leads us into despair. Hate often consumes even the best of relationships. What's going on? What I want to point up here, and what Scripture is pretty consistent in emphasizing, is that this is more than a skill dysfunction. The the problem, the dysfunction that exists in our relationships is not simply that you lack relational skills. It's not just that you're introverted versus extroverted, okay? I'm an introverted person. I have friends, right? Like it's not, you can make friends as an introvert. You can make friends as an extrovert. It's not a set of skills or personality type that keeps us from developing deep and meaningful relationships. There is an abiding heart level dysfunction that exists in all of us. Now sometimes I'm not talking about those kind of circumstantial things where they just don't click. You know, you are uh, 45 minutes away from this person and try as you might, step one presence is just plain old-fashioned difficult. Um, we're not talking about the thing, you know, the kinds of instances where you, you're friends but you really have nothing in common so you always stumble over conversations. Okay, that's just a failure to launch. That's just a failure to click. Those are normal kinds of experiences. You still love those person, that person, you still like them, you still want to deepen relationship. We're talking about the kind of dysfunction that makes you jealous when your friend makes a new friend, the kind of dysfunction that sabotages your relationships, the the kind of holding on to wounds that means I can never restore the relationship with this person. Where does that come from? Haters are gonna hate. Turn with me to James chapter four. Okay, we're moving from Old Testament Proverbs to New Testament Proverbs, the book of James. Go to Hebrews, keep going. James chapter 4 in the Blue Bibles you will find on page 1012. What causes quarrels and causes fights among us? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Skipping down to verses 7 and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. At the root of our dysfunction, our relational dysfunction is a sin problem. Right? We're in a Christian church. You were expecting to hear sin at one point. This is it. Sin disrupts and our relationships and destroys the love that we have with one another. Hate overcomes the love that we share. It does this in two ways, okay? Sin disrupts and destroys and corrupts our relationships in two ways. First, it prevents us from giving ourselves over to those first four steps that we learned about, presence, service, partnership, faithfulness. It, dis- it disrupts our desire to do those things. Particularly, all of those things, did you notice this? All of those things require a level of self-sacrifice. Presence requires my time. Service requires my energy. Partnership requires sharing responsibility. Faithfulness requires doing all of those sacrifices continually and perpetually. If the center of the relationship is the other person, that is difficult. And what happens is sin, which is self-love, gets in the way of loving others. We love ourselves so much that as we love ourselves and other people infringe on that, we begin to uh, be bitter. A root of bitterness begins to boil up, begins to grow in our souls. And that consumes the love that we have for one another. The first way that sin disrupts relationships is by Uh, diminishing our love for one another as we love ourselves. The second way sin disrupts and sabotages relationships is that sin destroys even our best efforts. Have you ever noticed this, that you've done something nice for somebody and they respond not with thankfulness but suspicion? What's going on here? Why is this person being nice to me? Maybe you've noticed this too uh, when, uh, th- oh, when things are uh, going well You're nice to somebody you're, you're service oriented You think you're doing a good job And they, they don't say thanks They say, hmm, hmm I wish you could have stayed a little longer I wish you could have done a little more I need something else Ingratitude That perpetuates See, sometimes sin disrupts our relationships Because it's in our heart disrupting those relationships but sometimes we are doing the right things and we're doing it well as well as we can with all the flaws and cracks that exist but we're doing it well and still there's not that connection that coherence our souls are not being knit together because of somebody else's sin which is sabotaging the relationship they see only suspicion fear self-centeredness they never ask about us Both dysfunctions are the result of a lack of love. Sometimes it's our lack, sometimes it's the other person, but what happens is that lack of love exists, bitterness takes root, that lack of love separates us, bitterness takes root in the crack, like a weed in your garden, like a weed between the uh, pillars of your house. It takes root in that crack and it begins to crumble the relationship. What do you do? Is there a solution? No amount of further skills applied is going to result in the healing of this problem, in the repair of this crack. John, chapter 15, 12 through 17. Jesus steps in and here's what he does. It's on your bulletin. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. What we need to fill the crack is an increase in affection. We need to love each other more. Not more activity, not more skill, not more action. Actual genuine affection for the other person. To delight in them. Love each other more. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. The Lord of heaven and earth if you trust in Him, if you obey His commandments, He says this, "'You are my friends. "'If you do what I command you, "'no longer do I call you servants. "'For the servant does not know what his master is doing, "'but I have called you friends. "'For all that I have heard from my Father "'I have made known to you. "'You did not choose me, "'but I chose you and appointed you "'that you should go and bear fruit "'and that your fruit should abide "'so that whatever you ask The Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. The Gospel begins with this statement. The healing of our relationships begins with this statement. It is Jesus coming to us and saying, you, though you are an enemy of God, are my friends. The disciples are not good people, they're sinners. They will not long from this moment abandon Jesus, betray him, leave him to hang on a cross and to die. But Jesus, faithful, loyal friend that he is, restores them to fellowship. Jesus restores them and says, You are still my friends. What can you accomplish relationally in this church, among our body? if you truly believed what Jesus says here, you are my friends. Jesus sets us free to cultivate and increase and augment our affection for one another. Jesus' affection cultivates affection. Jesus' friendship results in new friendships. How? How does it work? How does the gospel transform our relationships? You see, if you are burdened, enslaved by selfish ambition, James 4, if you are trapped by your selfish ambition or somebody else's, your sin or somebody's sinful response to your initiative, you are bound by that. Hear this, Christ sets us free. He sets us free from our own selfish ambition. How? If you are the protagonist of your own story, if you are the main event, if you are the hero, you will never understand this. It will never capture your heart. If you are the center of your own story, then... Everything has to feed you Everything has to delight you And you will never be able to make good progress in friendships Because they, other people are problems Other people do things I don't like If somebody else, a spouse, a child Is the protagonist of your life If you put all your hopes on your, on your little boy, on your little girl You will crush them You will oppress them. The protagonist of your life has to be Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is your hero, your true friend, your best friend, if he is the source of your happiness and satisfaction, if he is your greatest delight, what happens is all of your desires have been met. He has taken your selfish ambition, your anxiety, your fears, and He has nailed them to the cross. And He has then met every desire of our hearts. He is the fulfillment of the reason that we were created. He will fulfill every desire of your heart. Selfish ambition and love for Christ cannot coexist, and that enables us to love more freely and more truly. Selfish ambition and love for Jesus Christ cannot coexist. And that enables us to love more freely, more truly, more sacrificially. It ena- enables us to double down on steps one through four, present service, partnership, and faithfulness. What is more is it gives us peace when things aren't going well. Jesus is your friend. You poured every effort into that new relationship. You sacrificed time and time again, and they did not see Do not allow the root of bitterness to creep into your heart. Jesus Christ is your friend. He says, you are my friends. That is the antidote to that root of bitterness, that seed of hatred which will consume us, to be satisfied in the friendship of the Lord of the universe who has given us all things. He endured betrayal, distrust, fear, anxiety from His friends. He endured all of those things to establish a faithful, everlasting, life-giving friendship with His people in those moments when no one knows you because you're down and out. You are known and loved by Jesus Christ. He desires us to have good relationships here on earth. Pray that he will bring them. And in the meantime, be satisfied in knowing Christ is my good friend. He has died for me. He has loved me. And I will receive all things in eternity. How then do we make better friends at church? The center of our relationships isn't us. It's not me and it's not you. The center of our relationships, the way in which we are knit together is by the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ that knits us together. It's what's on the front of your bulletin. Notice how John puts it. John, the friend of God, beloved, the one whom Jesus loved, the things that we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. In order that I'm proclaiming the gospel to you, in order that you also may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship in with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is the source of our fellowship. The gospel is what knits us together. And so as we're developing friendships with one another, deepening the relationships that we have, the first thing we do is cultivate our love for Christ. That's why worship is a great place to make friends. Because the first thing that we are engaged in is cultivating our love for Jesus. And then we fellowship with one another afterwards. Cultivate your love for Jesus Christ by the means appointed, by the means of grace. Worship, word, sacrament, prayer. And then turn the love that you have for Christ outward. Turn it inside out, like a t-shirt. And love those next to you. Cultivate your affection for other people By being present with them By listening to them and serving them By partnering with them in the message of the gospel The message of the kingdom By faithfully pursuing the things of heaven